Welcome to the EverSeline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Welcome to yet another earworm of an episode of the Ever Saleem podcast, where today I'm thrilled to introduce you to our guest, an experienced applicator of agile methodologies, a conductor of change and a seasoned expert in fostering innovation with complex human systems. Joining us is Noel Warnell, a dynamic force with over 22 years of experience in software product delivery and 11 years of dedicated work with leaders and agile teams. Noel's journey has been an incredible exploration of agility, both in mindset and methodology. His career has taken him across diverse sectors, from finance to retail, publishing to beverages, always with a mission to infuse passion, creativity and efficiency in every corner of the organisations that he touches. Noel's approach is nothing short of transformational magic, not just as an agile coach or a leader, but as a catalyst for meaningful change. With a solution-focused mindset, he thrives on crafting memorable experiences for his clients and colleagues alike. But there's one more thing that fuels Noel's creativity and intellect. Books. Big time books. I mean huge, huge bookworm. An unashamed book addict, Noel's voracious appetite for knowledge has led him to devour over 100 books a year for the past two years alone. He's not just a reader, he's a true connoisseur of written wisdom. In a world where the term Sunduku resonates for so many, describing the habit of acquiring books without reading them, Noel has taken this phenomenon and made it an art. And unsurprisingly, He's the master of finding the agile application, even in this realm where the first for knowledge meets the contrasts of time. It sounds like a Harry Potter novel. It really does. Anyway, today, Noel will share with us some guidance on self-application CI, guiding us in how to break Sunduku and delve into the world of lean portfolio management, a common framework within the scaled agile framework designed for large organizations to align their strategic goals with project execution. LPM empowers organisations to become adaptable, responsive and efficient while delivering value to customers effectively. And today, Noel will offer his expert advice on how to navigate this world. Noel, welcome to the Everseline podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was an incredible welcome. I've, I've, not, <laughs> I've not heard so, so many different 
adjectives and verbs and words to to describe <laughs> me and what I do before. So yeah, a little bit overwhelming. I feel a massive amount of pressure now to live up to all of that. <laughs> Not at all. It's like just imagine you died and we was reading you out <laughs> at your graveside. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like. Brilliant. Get yeah, that on the head. Well, hopefully, this isn't the last ever <laughs> thing that I do whilst living. I hope not. I've never had someone die live on air yet. Okay. Um, I don't know what the procedure is for that, actually. Mm. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Mm. Don't have a policy. That. Don't have a policy for yeah, that. Yeah, best to be covered. Yeah. I know what it is on the radio. So I know that when um, when the Queen passed away, we had to do all this stuff here where we sort of ditched the, the general transmission. You can only play certain songs of a certain ebb and, and air, um, and you, you can't say certain things. You can't sound upbeat. Mm. I don't know how it works to podcasting indeed if i do die during the recording of this podcast you are free to laugh cry or whatever other emotion comes naturally to you <laughs> say whatever i want i say noel's <laughs> give me a written statement this is what he said <laughs> oh brilliant so we seem to be enjoying in the uk somewhat of an indian summer this week it seems to have come back with a vengeance and it's gorgeous is it nice where you are it is fantastic. I'm luckily enough in an air-conditioned office today. It's typical, isn't it? It's the week that the kids go back to school, but there you go. Yeah, it really is. It's sod's law, isn't it? I was thinking that yesterday. Like We've had some really dodgy weather over the last six weeks, and then all of a sudden, I live on the coast, and so much of the stuff that's normally open during the school holidays, like the fairground rides, have just been closed because it's been so bad. Oh, wow. Such a shame. Yeah, it is. We've got two dogs at home, so the the weather when it's a bit cooler is actually better because, you know, the dogs just melt in the heat with their permanent fur coats on, so... I quite like the heat. The dogs don't. I used to pay to get my dog groomed frequently. Mm. And um, I've now just, I just get my own clippers out and I just skin it number number three all over. Yeah. <laughs> Last me six months. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, during lockdown, we weren't able to get the dog's hair cut. You know, and maybe this is a good intro into that, you know, self-improvement, continuous improvement to our personal lives where we start to, to look for other skills that we can apply to to make our own lives easier yeah i'm interested did you kind of study it before you did it for the first time did you read up about it did you watch videos or did you just go for it so i am a youtube style man so i will youtube how do you cut a king charles spaniel mm -hmm. and i watch a 60 second normally like a 12 year old telling me how to do something mm -hmm. and then i try and do mm -hmm. it it's the same with i think i said on a previous episode i bought a buggy and this buggy came with absolutely every add-on you can imagine and the manual to put it all together was like the old yellow pages for those of you that go back that long ago. It was a massive book and there was no way I was ever going to read that. And I just Googled the make and model of the buggy and how do you assemble yeah. it? And again, a 60 second video, a nice bit of background music. Yeah, bang. yeah exactly. The internet is a, a wonderful thing. The emergence of things like chat GPT now as well make it even easier to garner that kind of information. Yeah. Just type something in. So yes, and there's uh, always some caution that needs to be applied to the stuff that comes out so i've had i've had mixed experience with chat gpt i think it's a fantastic thing i think it's it's going to be around we've got to get used to it and learn how best to use it for what we need and what we're going to benefit from but there's definitely like anything that's that's not generated by you directly you have to take it with a pinch of salt and adjust it to your own needs and wants yeah it does keep you on your toes doesn't it some of the stuff it puts in there is you've got to be mindful of what if you don't know what you're talking about and you ask it something there's a real risk that you could catch yourself out and trip yourself up yeah definitely yeah yeah i've um in the past asked it for some research studies 
and it's completely misquoted, you know, and if you don't follow up and double check it with a good old fashioned Google search, then yeah, yeah you can end up misquoting people. But it's interesting though, isn't it? You think back before we had things like Google, like I can't even remember now what it was like. I remember having the old modem dial up. I can still hear the sound <laughs> in my mind of the, of the dial up when I was a child. Before that, it was encyclopedias. That was it, Britannica. Yeah, you used to have to physically go to the library, didn't you? And spend yeah. a day finding the books and reading through the books. And yeah, absolutely. Just the stuff that we and our kids have got at their fingertips is is incredible. Mm. Yeah, my son said to me the other day, he goes, "What gaming PC did you have when you was little?" I was like, "Gaming PC." I said, "We we had the Sega Mega Drive and things like that. We didn't have gaming PCs. It didn't exist back then." Mm. And then I pulled out the N64 and I got him playing on some of the N64 games. And he goes, "Oh, it's all right." He goes, "But the graphics are a bit naff." <laughs> it's about playability. It's not about the graphics. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into our subject matter. Then our first one then was about applying CI yeah. to ourselves. This is an interesting one, actually. I was talking to someone the other day and it got me thinking about some things that you and I had spoke about previously. As human beings, if you ask somebody about lean or agile or continuous improvement, some people are say, no, I don't know anything about it. But as human beings, we actually do do it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's part of our DNA and it's part of our evolution as a species, but people just don't realize it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's frustrating at times when they don't see it and you have to kind of help help them to see it. But, you know, some people are a lot more deliberate about it as well. So, you know, I think I have been very deliberate in my practice over the last five, 10 years of of actively trying to improve in certain areas. And because of some of the things that we've already mentioned and having the access to all of this information and all these incredible books that are published, you know, we've really got no excuse not to improve or not to tap into all of this wealth of information that we've got around us, especially people like us, middle-aged guys. I hope you don't mind me calling you middle-aged, <laughs> but you know, we, we do, you know, we're in the UK. We, we come from privilege in comparison with lots of other people in the world. And so I, I've, I personally get quite frustrated when people seem unwilling, like deliberately unwilling to tap in and and find ways that they can make their lives more interesting more efficient and just get better as people and as fathers and as coaches and whatever it is that they do why do you think that is though why do you think some people are reluctant like that i think there's an expectation or that there's a there's a way that we're taught to do things at school which sticks with us as adults because it's in those formative years where you know we spend time if you think about it like as a, as a six-year-old, you have pretty much one teacher for a whole year. So if that's a teacher or someone who's got very strong views about certain things, they're going to have a massive influence on you. Similarly, if you have someone who's completely disengaging or who you don't have a human connection with, then there's a massive loss there in the opportunity mm. to connect and enjoy learning and enjoy discovering new things. So for me, the way that the education system is set up is not ideal and makes us think as adults that we need to do things in a certain way because that's what we were taught to do all those years ago. But times move on, times change. We change. So we should we should roll with it. I'm so aligned with that. I, I, you'll have no objections for me in, in terms of that. I think 
as a child, I remember sitting there going, oh, well, history's boring, don't like history, geography's boring, don't like geography. And when I look back now, knowing what I know about how we learn as, as adults and, and how we learn as human beings, it wasn't necessarily the subjects that was boring. It was the delivery and the teacher mm. I found boring. Mm. Yeah. And if I'd have had an engaging teacher who delivered in meaningful ways rather than a you know a whiteboard at the front that they were just writing on constantly, I'd have absorbed that information so much better. I really would have done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. You know, the pace of change for the curriculum as well is incredibly slow. When you think of the, the pace of change of the rest of the world and technology that we mentioned earlier and mm. just the amount of information that's out there that, you know, some of the things that my kids are being forced to study just feels so irrelevant in today's kind of modern world and also i should probably mention so i trained as a primary school teacher so i'm did you i have some experience in this area and i i was did a four-year degree at university to be a primary school teacher so i understand it quite well and i actually chose not to go into teaching because by the time i'd finished my four-year degree much to my parents frustration was uh, yeah it just wasn't really aligned with what I was hoping that it was going to be so I had to uh, had to pivot wow so you can see it from both sides of the coin then from the physical learners view and from the sort of the education side as well that's remarkable yeah huge amount of process and you know a lot of what what we do is about process improvement and process efficiency and being able to adapt quickly to what's going on around us and when you're in an environment whether that's a school or a organization where it doesn't allow for that then it's super frustrating i've always chuckled at how we at school we group people by age even the mm. football teams you know you don't you don't look at a football team now you don't look at man united or chelsea or arsenal and everyone is within one age group you know everyone is is 20 to 21 and they're all mm. in that group it, you mix different ages because you learn from each other but at school, yeah. we, we sort of discourage that and we separate people by their age. Mm. You don't do it as an adult. You don't walk into a pub. We don't go, oh, no, can you sit over there, please? Because you're in the age group of those people and I'm going to sit mm. over there and you sit here. You wouldn't do it, would you? No. <laughs> so give us some some examples then of how you've integrated principles of CI into your daily routines and workflows then. Give us a sort of an insight into your world. Okay, so I've got a couple of examples that I thought might be relevant. And I know you're quite a creative person as well. So I've um, I really enjoy having a creative outlet and I realized probably about 10 years ago that the way that I was taking notes at work I was always you know profuse note taker but then I would never really refer back to my notes when I did want to refer back to them I could never find them but I carried on like that actually for quite a while before I started to get a bit frustrated and so tried to find a different way that would work for me and I ended up doing a, a one-day graphic facilitation course and that just resonated with me and I certainly don't claim to be an artist but I spend a lot of my time now doodling and or sketch noting and people call it various different things graphic recording um, but most of my notes now involve icons and pictures and arrows and thought bubbles and things like that and I find I retain information so much better for me personally, by having to translate what I'm hearing and what I'm reading into something that works for me, which is a more of a visual representation. So I think I've applied that. My kids seem to have picked up that a little bit as well. So there's definitely an artistic streak in the family. When people look at my notebook at work, generally 
I would say probably 99 out of 100 people, their reaction is, wow, what, what is that that you're doing? Yeah. Was you bored? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, I'm just taking, that's how I take notes because that's what works for me. And they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it looks really interesting. Like, well, it's, we've been in the same meeting, right? We've heard the same stuff. We've been in part of that conversation and contributed equally. I just happened to have written it down differently to you or put marks on paper differently to you. But again, I think, you know, I would encourage people, it's something as simple as that, but it's something that you do all the time. And probably every day you're writing stuff down or when you're in a work environment, you're taking notes of some description. So is that working for you? And if not, there's, there's so many different ways that you could do it. I bet I'm not the only one sitting here thinking this right, but I've got a drawer full of old notebooks. I've got two notebooks here on the go, and I probably fill four or five pages a day with notes in meetings, right? I never, never go back and read through those notes ever again, mm. ever. Yeah. And I bet other people are sitting there thinking, that's a really good point. All those trees that, that we're <laughs> cutting down and writing in, we're not doing anything with it. Yeah. Well, the, the simple act of writing it down is better than not writing it down because you, you're more likely to retain information by writing it down. So it is a good mm. thing to do that. But yeah, for me, that wasn't enough because I still, when I did want to refer back to things, just everything looks the same and everything is uh, it's really hard to distinguish one from the other. You know, mind mapping is, is a tool that works really well for other people as well. Yeah, I love mind mapping. I think mind mapping is a great way to, to retain information. Mm. When I was at school, they used to give us exercise books that we used to obviously fill out, like the blue books or the red books. They'd be quite chunky books when you first get them, say like 100 pages thick. By the end of the first three weeks, my book would only be half those pages. My teachers used to say to me, where's all the pages? And if I wrote during the lesson in the book and I didn't like how my handwriting was looking, I'd rip the page out and rewrite it in again. Because I was really particular about how it all had to look really neat and the titles had to be underlined in red. And I got really OCD about it. But the problem is my my, my notebooks were so thin mm. or I was ripping so much out all the time. <laughs> and it never helped me retain the information. I don't remember it any more than I would have done the first time around, which is interesting. Yeah. But as an adult, mind mapping, I think, is an extremely valuable tool because mm. it fits the mind, the brain, the human brain works in that way, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. And you could have two or three people, like me and you could read the same book and, and create a mind map for ourselves and they could be completely different but you've got something that works for you and I've got something that works for me having these little things in your toolbox I think is is really what makes a difference for me in you know kind of applying that continuous improvement mindset to just day-to-day -day life yeah I want some more examples what other things do you do because that was a good tip <laughs> so I guess well the other one which you mentioned at the beginning as well is around reading so I do now read between, I would say between eight and 15 books a month, mostly <laughs> non, most, <laughs> probably a couple of fiction, yeah. but mostly nonfiction. So businessy type books around kind of things that you talk about, Lean Six Sigma and yeah. team leadership skills and things like that. And again, it comes back to how we were taught to read as kids and actually the content and what we need as adults is completely different, but we still do what we were trained to do as like four and five year olds. So there's a whole range of different things that you can apply to your skill as an adult of how you read a book that can make a massive difference. I mean, I, I, if, I, if I'm not enjoying a book, first of all, I'd say my top tip is then get rid of it, give it away. Yeah. 
<laughs> but we, we we have this guilt that we've got something, we've bought it, you know, or someone's given it to us as a gift. We have to read it from the front to the back before we can say, right, we're done. But if you're not connecting with the content or you're, if you're not getting on with the author, you know, because it is like you're, you're listening to someone's ideas, someone's stories. And as with like your example, when you go to a pub, you sometimes end up talking to people and you just think, this, I'm just not into this conversation. I'm mm. not connecting with this person. So chances are the first opportunity, you're going to walk away, find someone else to talk to. Apply that to your books. If you're not enjoying the book, you're not getting on with the author, as quickly as you can, move on, find something else that's more interesting. This is a good point because you, you just walk away from someone you won't get on with. Mm. I don't know if you've seen, but when you, you know, drive down like the, through the little villages in, in the UK now, you often see the red telephone boxes mm. that obviously used to be the way that we would communicate. Now they're all got like shelves in them and they're full of people's books that they've yeah. left in there. And you can, every time I drive past them, I see them getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And normally, like peak periods, like just after Christmas, they get really full. Where all the, all the Christmas <laughs> gifts have gone in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're full of like Louis Theroux biographies yeah. and things like that. Yeah, David Jason. Um, yeah. Cafes, you know, have these book exchanges where, you know, just take a book and then next time you come in, bring one that you've finished and obviously libraries you don't have to be rich to read a lot of books mm. you know charity shops are bursting with books and these free local libraries there's actually a website you can visit called little free libraries but yeah they're basically in your local area somewhere probably within walking distance someone has got a box in their front garden full of books that they or their neighbors have finished reading and you're welcome to just go and mm. help yourself and take them anyone listening can go into a charity shop and spend five six quid and probably come out with between three to ten books and some relevant current topics as well yeah. uh, not talking about you know how to do origami with tea towels you know it's like proper like thinking fast and slow and some real bestsellers dan pink drive i found that in a charity shop last week wow and i think i paid one pound fifty for it bargain absolutely you'd be quite proud of me I, I had a couple of flights last week to and from berlin and um I, i've been reading giving wings to her team by mm -hmm. tylo schwartz and jeffrey k Leica. i'm quite a slow reader i find that i'll read half a page and then my mind will tell me you haven't taken any of that in i can't but any of what i've just read i couldn't tell you what i just read so i have to read it again so it takes me so long to read a book and in those two flights in amongst waiting at the airport because of the UK flights are all over the place last week. Um, I managed to read half the book, which for me was a massive achievement to, to have done that. Mm. I had the distraction of the games on my phone and YouTube and all this other stuff that I could have been doing, but I managed to really focus on it and I really enjoyed it. Mm. And I actually felt afterwards super chilled out through sitting there and reading a book it's hard to explain but nice coffee reading the book it's brilliant absolutely yeah, brilliant yeah absolutely and that's great a lot of people experience that similar feeling of you know i've just read half a page i can't remember it what i would say is actually then it probably wasn't that important or, or you're probably not in the right space to be doing reading right now so just mm. stop because you know you're just not in the right environment or not in the right frame of mind but that habit, what you were talking about, the fact that you sat with that book regularly during a period of time and made time to spend with the book meant that you read more of it. And this is also one of the, this is probably my second tip, uh, which is that not having a regular reading habit. If you are someone who enjoys books and you've got a lot of books in your backlog, 
then even five minutes a day can help you easily get through up to 20 books a year just just literally five minutes a day by making that on a monday to friday make just make that a regular routine and you do just start to get through a lot more content and it can become like you say a bit like a meditation you know and it does chill chill you out yeah it's like box sets isn't it back in the day when you used to be able to get by a box set you'd sit i did it with lost i was about 10 years behind with lost but but i started watching Lost, and i got through the whole lot in about five days in the end because i just couldn't <laughs> turn it off that's kind of what I felt like with that book is once mm. I started reading it, I was really enjoying reading it. Yeah. You kind of go into your own little world, which is quite nice. Yeah. What I would also say as well is you're, what I'm hearing from how you're describing it is that you are following that pattern that we were taught as kids, which is I need to read it from the start to the end and I need to be paying attention. I need to remember the previous you know, paragraph or page. And if not, then oh, I've done it wrong. I have to start again. But I mean, that's just not, as adults, that's just nonsense. So I, I, I free you from that <laughs> perception <laughs> that you have that, that, you know, that this is the right way to read. Because like with the note taking, you've got to just find the thing that works for you. And uh, one of the things I talk about sometimes when I do like uh, I'll go into an organization and run a, a workshop around this or whatever. You can literally in your first 10 minutes with a book, you should be able to know whether or not it's going to give you what you need. And if not, then you can put it to one side and not feel bad about it. So just looking at the, the front and the back matter, so things like the blurb on the back cover mm -hmm. and the table of contents, and if it's got an index or an appendix section, just spending two or three minutes reading through those starts to give you a sense of what's going on, what sort of content is, is in this book. If you then spend another two or three minutes literally just skimming through the pages, looking for how the book is laid out, like what's the design of the book? Is it just text, walls of text? Is there very clear sections? Are there images, graphics, bullet points? Do they have end of chapter summaries or even beginning of the chapter summaries? You know, all of these things are going to give you a sense of, right, now I know what's in the book and I know how the book is laid out. And if you ask yourself, well, why have I chosen this book right now? What, what's the need that I have or the interest that I've got or the problem that I want this book to help me solve? Then you can just go on a search for that, for the answer to that thing. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to cover the whole thing. It could be one chapter has got that nugget that you were hoping for. And you find it within the first 10, 15 minutes, read it. That will take you probably about another five minutes job done thanks very much yeah a lot of the continuous improvement books that i have are very much like that they you know you can go into the summary at the end and you can look for the particular tool that you're using at that time and then you can go to that chapter read a use case read how to use it it tells you where to get the template from and then you put it away for another day yeah exactly exactly that's but there's no excuse now for uh, again one of my frustrations is the way that some books are still written you know, in that, what I would say is a very kind of old fashioned way of writing a book where it is literally text from start to finish. That's just uh, one long kind of narrative. Actually, we should be in a stage now where we know how to make it easy for people to read the book and how to find the right content. We don't necessarily want them to buy and read our whole book and be amazed by, you know, how well we write. It's much more about having useful information and, and making that accessible for people. 
my favourite books were Biff and Chip when I was at school. I remember all them. I could take all that in. Uh, they were easy. Do you know why they were easy? Because it was very few words at the bottom, but then a big picture, like a cartoon of what was going on. Mm. So it sticks in your mind. There's a lot of books, like business books, non-fiction books now that are being converted into graphic novels. So a couple of examples of very famous books. One is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. That, you can buy a manga comic version of that. And another one is The Goal by Eliyahu Goldratt, you know, a very famous kind of lean book all about manufacturing. But that is also now available in a graphic novel format. So there's lots of different things available to us to help us digest all this wonderful content. So what would be your top three tips for reading then to make sure that we do get through those books and we don't sort of go back to that school mentality? Yeah, so I would say my top three tips for reading more books would be, first of all, just to have a regular reading habit. Just by sitting with a book on a regular basis, even if it's for two minutes, it's going to make a massive difference over the course of a year. Those little things, they compound, they stack up. That's number one. Number two would be to not be scared to ditch a book if you don't like it. If you're not getting on with the author, you haven't got a connection with the content. It's just winding you up a little bit. Ditch it. Guilt-free. Put it to one side. Give it away. And my third one would be to level up your reading skills and to move beyond what we were talking about earlier where... The way that we're taught to read at school was perfectly fit for purpose at that point in our lives, but no longer is. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can do that. And I think hopefully I'll give you a link, uh, Matt, that you can include uh, to one of the blog posts. You made me think, well, I wrote down on my notes earlier on and I never got around to mentioning it, but we know we were talking about... Did you write it or did you draw it? I wrote it this time. Okay. Yeah, I'd have been drawing it. I'd still have been drawing it now. I'd have heard anything you said. <laughs> And I, the thing with me as well, I'd have to draw it in the right type of pencil. I couldn't draw it in just a pen. I'd, it'd really bother me. I'd have to draw okay. it in a pencil and then shade <laughs> it and it got to look good. Yeah. So what I was going to say is thinking about using like continuous improvement techniques at home, people washing their cars, when they wash their car, they are doing it in a lean way. But if I went up to them and said, do you know what lean is? They wouldn't, wouldn't have a clue. So if, I'll give you an example is they start off by washing the roof. And then after they've washed the roof, they spray it off and let the, the dirt run down the car. And the very last thing they do is the wheels. And by doing that, they're effectively like reducing the, the rework because they won't have to clean dirt, wash, then clean, then wash, then clean. Um, and equally, defect-wise, you'll get less defects. And they're doing it, but they don't know that they're doing it. I don't know if you get this, but I get this like urge to go and say to people, do you realize what you're doing mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. try and put it in their head? I'd be one of those really annoying people. But it's just it just got me thinking. That's another example of the things that you do every single day that you wouldn't realize. Yeah, I get really annoyed when you go into those some of these burrito shops in central London where they have these queuing systems where you're just saying, oh, my God, if you just put the person who's doing like the salad to the left of the person <laughs> who's doing the uh, the meat that would speed yeah. things up so much more or take the payment why don't you take the payment bef at the start rather than at the end yeah you once you once you know about these things you do you, you spot them everywhere don't you there's there's a book you do yeah um there's a guy um clark ching calls himself the bottleneck guy and he he said it's like the sixth sense you know that movie where the the little boy says i see dead people He's like that's that's my superpower is that I see bottlenecks. <laughs> <laughs> I spot waste. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> but you do. Once you've got an eye for this stuff, you do spot it all over the place. It's not something you can just pick up and leave at work. You bring it home with mm. you as well. And I, I look over the years, like I'm, I like to do a bit of DIY. I don't, that's probably the wrong term. I don't like to do DIY. I do DIY through necessity, but I'd rather try it myself than pay someone to do it. And my philosophy has always been, I might as well have a go myself because if it goes wrong, I'll just pay someone to come and do it anyway. So I'm not losing anything. But when I look at my journey over the last 20 years, I've come on a long way from what I used to be able to do to what I can do now. And the quality of what I do is so much better. And a lot of that comes down to the planning and the fact that I've now got the right tools because over the years you accumulate Mm. the right tools, don't you? But I can, when I look at a job now, my mind automatically goes into the step-by-step process that I believe I'm going to have to follow to be able to, to achieve that job. But it used to just be dive straight in and it was carnage and a complete mess. Again, that goes mm-hmm. back to an agile methodology, really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognize your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilize Lean, Six Sigma, project management, or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive, compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves? Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. With the book that I released earlier this year, I wrote that book in about two and a half weeks. But, you know, that's 12 years of knowledge that I've got. Mm. And there's, you know, probably six, seven blog posts that I've written over the years that I could just adapt and feed in. And there were book summaries that I've created, visual book summaries that I'd created over the last two or three years. So really it was just a pulling together of a bunch of content that I already had and just framing it as one body of work kind of together. But I knew I wanted to write a book, but I didn't, when I started it, I didn't think, right, I'm going to take two weeks and I'm going to write a book. It's just, maybe I'll start to pull some of that stuff together and kind of that's, that's where it ended up. But I think to your point earlier, if, if I'd have had this plan that I've got to focus on this thing for the next six to 12 months, I find it really hard to keep focused on that and stick with it. And I think that's, one of the reasons why I'm drawn to the kind of work that I do, which is 
consulting with various different companies and, and helping them with their agile strategy and with their transformation goals and organizational change because there's it's just a really interesting diverse area to, to play in and although there's a common problems and common challenges that you hear even across different industries it's always a different way to solve the problem because every company is different with a different set of people at a different point in their journey so it's always going to be different contextually so you like it when you go in when you're doing the consulting and you go into a company for the first time you first walk through that door and meet the people is that the real buzz for you yeah that's that's what makes me tick is is the the people and just the opportunity to help make things different make things better Mm. um you know i think that's such a an honor to be invited in to do that one of the things that is always present the way I approach work with clients is that I, I want them to own it and I can come in with some experience and with some skills to help but if they're expecting me to just do the work I'm, then I'm a lot less interested in that mm. I'm much more interested in them saying we want to do this but we don't know how can you help us yeah, I guess in terms of sustainability as well, if you're just going in there and doing it for them, they might achieve some fantastic results in the six weeks that you're there. But once you walk away, it will very quickly revert to type mm-hmm. if they haven't changed mindset and learned these new skills and are applying it themselves. It's absolutely it's kind of a, loses its value, doesn't it? Right. Talk to me about lean portfolio management. Then what does that mean? What is that term all about? OK, so I can tell you my my view on it and you know, like all of these things, I've, I've got some experience, but I'm certainly not the, the expert or the oracle on it. So anything I say is to be taken, you know, with a pinch of salt and uh, do your research for yourself. But it, for me, it's, it's a growing trend in the market right now where there is, uh, again, it's not new. So things like beyond budgeting have been around for many years, but there does seem to be a growing interest in helping organizations to think about the way that they fund and resource projects and product development that they do in a way that isn't aligned to that more traditional approach of once a year having an annual budget given to you. So typically what's happened over the last God knows how many years is that you predict the future for the next year. You say, we're going to build this amazing thing. We think we're going to need 50 people and we're going to need X million dollars in order to do that and we're going to need this software this hardware there's this big upfront planning big upfront investment based on this promise of something long term in the future lean portfolio is about saying let's break that down into smaller chunks which probably starts to sound familiar to a lot of people listening but from a not necessarily even just from the product perspective but from a monetary perspective so you're not going to go once a year, ideally, and ask for 2 million, 5 million, 10 million for a massive program of work. What you should be doing, especially in today's environment where things move so quickly, is you should be saying, I want an investment for three to six months. And if I can't prove the value of this within that time period, I'm happy for you to take that money away and go and invest in something else. That's what Lean Portfolio, for me, that's what Lean Portfolio is is about at its core. It's about helping people to invest in the right thing at the right time 
and taking more of an experimental short term three to six months view on the investments that they're asking people to make. So how does that work then? If someone you know, someone invests for three to six months and it fails, how does that work in terms of the investment they've made? Because sometimes you, you might have to buy licenses mm-hmm. or you might have to buy physical products for that. Mm-hmm. If that then fails, people might be a little bit afraid of admitting that it's failed because they've lost all of that investment they've made. Yeah, but it changes the conversation to allow for more flexibility so rather than it being okay well we we think we need a hundred thousand licenses well actually you probably don't need that many in order to prove the investment you might only need a hundred because if you can't prove the investment on a hundred licenses we probably should pull the plug and to me actually the sign of a lean portfolio management function or a lean portfolio management process within an organization working is when they are regularly stopping projects because they're not getting the value on them. And that can be a problem, can't it? Very rarely do you hear stories of people who have said, you know what, I was really for this. I really thought it was the right thing to do. We've done some testing and some experimental stuff. It hasn't worked. We need to stop and and readapt. Very rarely do you hear that. People don't do that. And and one of the reasons why I believe, Matt, is because we've got this long-term view and like you might have had to work really bloody hard for months to get that investment to get that buy-in and so you don't want to cock it up but if we start to apply this lean thinking to our portfolio of work and we do break these things down smaller you're asking for a smaller investment so there's less risk and it just helps that conversation that if it doesn't work out if we find that out within three to six months yeah, it, I might have a bit of egg on my face, but it's not the end of the world. We'll just move on to the next thing. And the more we do it, the more easy the conversation gets. The hardest thing for organizations is adopting this and that shift in that mindset. I've got examples, so I won't give you the client names, but where they are still having funding process that starts in October and they are release the funds in July. It takes nine months and they, so they've got an annual budgeting process. So they release funds once a year, but it takes nine months. <laughs> it's just, wow. It's bonkers. You think of the amount of waste yeah. that's in that process. Yeah. You think what changes in that nine months? It's just madness. It's, it's crazy. How does that even work? Uh, they can't deliver results, surely. Well, everything you think of like the, the it's all going to be massively lagging indicators mm. you know the, the success and and these are generally again because they're asking for big investment they're long-term projects so the value mm. isn't necessarily coming through until further down the line but the longer people have this acceptance around the budgeting process being this big behemoth thing then actually the, the longer they're going to be stuck in working in that way it's funny though because the you know the DNA of lean is about doing more with less. It's about being able to you know it came from a time in Toyota where they didn't have money to invest and they were trying to improve what they had with what they've got. It makes you wonder like I get there are some projects that require large investment, but to be an, an agile organization, you don't have to spend masses amounts millions amounts of money mm. you can do it with what you've got to some degree yeah i think that's a great that's a great point yeah i, I appreciate the challenge it's, it's good 
if you think of Toyota and you think of where they basically pull the cord to stop the production line, they pull that cord a couple of hundred times a day. But you think, obviously, when they first put that in, that probably wasn't happening because they were probably scared to pull it. Like, who's going to be the first one to yeah. pull the cord and stop the factory, you know? But they're, they're used to it now, and they do it all the time, and it stops everyone. But they focus on, like you say, those small changes. They, they know each bit of the process, whether it's working or if it's not. And as soon as they see it's not working, they stop and they focus their energy in that area. But one of the key things that I like to do when starting working with a client where they're saying that they want to be more lean and they want to manage their portfolio in a more flexible way is doing that either value stream mapping or some kind of process mapping where you get that visualization of the end to end. And it's amazing how quickly you can get alignment from a group of people on where the bottlenecks are and where the opportunities are actually to focus on trying to make useful change, but actually stopping the day-to-day work and spending some time to step back and do some of these activities is um, is often where the challenge lies. The term lean portfolio management then, that's actually part of the Agile framework. It's actually, people will be familiar with that if they're doing Agile. There's a little bit to unpack there. So <laughs> Agile is made up of many different frameworks and Agile is ultimately four values and 12 principles because if you, the Agile manifesto is... To, to me, when people say, is it agile or not, it's, or does it map to the agile manifesto? Maybe what you're referring to is um, within SAFE, which is the scaled agile framework. So they have a lot of different frameworks and different elements of other agile practices that they kind of bolt together. And lean portfolio management is one of them. I couldn't tell you where it originated. It definitely didn't originate as part of SAFE, but I couldn't tell you where it comes from or it's something that I've been working with for a few years now. And yeah, it definitely seems to be something that's generating quite a lot of interest and momentum and a lot more conversation in some of the forums and communities that I'm part of than it did even probably even nine, 12 months ago. I think there's such a thirst for knowledge now around continuous improvement, particularly in the current climate. You know, people want to do more with what they've got. So they're, they're looking to mm. these um, these different methodologies and these different approaches to the way they do things. And again, going back to yeah. our initial conversation, when you go into these organizations, do you see elements of lean methodology at play and they don't even realize that they're doing it in a lean way? Do, do you find that? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Uh, probably more so what I see is people who think they are doing it and they're not. <laughs> yeah. So they say, we're we're, we're already agile or we've already got x number of scrum teams but yeah you you kind of peel back a couple of layers and you figure out actually it's maybe there's a bit more to unpack there putting you on the spot again then same as before what would be your top three tips for lean portfolio management then for individuals and organizations yeah when it comes to to lean portfolio management if i was to summarize my three top tips here it would be to always start with mapping out that current process. So creating that alignment and that shared understanding of what currently happens, super important starting point. You also need to have engagement with the senior stakeholders within the organization, because if you don't have that, you're gonna be, you're gonna hit a glass ceiling quite quickly and there's, you're not gonna progress probably to the level that you want, because this is a strategic play. You know, Lean portfolio management is not something that's tactical. Uh, or operational this is this is a strategic move 
um, that will have significant benefit across the organization. So you need the right people on board in order to go after that. I think my final tip would be around constraints. So this does need to be a, a governed and regulated process internally. So I would always encourage people to set up um, and have a focus on enabling constraints as opposed to governing constraints. You want to give people guardrails. You want to give them a framework to operate within, but you don't want it to be something that's so heavy and so complex and so convoluted that it ends up slowing things down because that would just defeat the object. Right, people love it. People want it. People need it. No, it's time for you to take on the yes, no game. Can't believe you invented it. I know I did. I completely invented it. Des O'Connor nicked it for me many years ago. I let him get away with it, but I've taken it back now. All right, I'm on it. For those of you who don't know who Des O'Connor is, you need to Google it. All right, you'll see what I mean. Anyway, so the way this works is I've got three cards and each card has got a different topic that the yes, no questions will be based on. Card number one, card number two, card number three. Which one will you pick? I will pick card number three, please. Card number three is British Seaside. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You haven't seen the questions yet. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is you'll hear some really intense music that puts the pressure on you. And I will fire you these questions over a 60 second period. Your challenge is to not answer with the term yes, no, or any sort of similarity to yes or no no mm-hmm's ahas or mm, none of them and i'm gonna do my absolute best to catch you out as quickly as possible i understand yes good start you're getting in the mindset i like it if you hear the gong that means you're out you're gone you, you said yes no or something like that you ready you up for this indeed indeed right here we go you're going to use up all of your thinking power before we start <laughs> right do not say yes or no no it's easy as that is swimming in the sea a popular activity at British seaside resorts? More so in European countries. Yeah, where it's cleaner. Do you take a dip? I bathe at home regularly. <laughs> what are some of the challenges that seaside towns face in terms of tourism and development? Seagulls. Seagulls are awful. They're really big, aren't they? Some of them massive. Huge. Absolutely huge. And you don't walk along eating your fish and chips because they swoop down and steal your sausage. You've ever had your sausage stolen? Not by a seagull uh, and not recently. <laughs> are, uh, are there typically sandy beaches at the British seaside destinations? In a lot of, in a lot of towns, there are stones. <laughs> you did it oh, I'll let you have that that was really good you smashed it I think I said not not I think I said not but yeah I yeah think... not's all right not oh, you okay. can say not oh. yeah not works um it did make my brain think for a minute when you said it I was like my fingers couldn't work out I need to press the button or not but um no not's okay I think not because it was in the terms of the sentence it wasn't a yes no so right okay well done I'm sweating I'm literally sweating now <laughs> It's the music. It's the pressure. <laughs> well done. That's brilliant. We get two types of folk with this. You get some folk that go out immediately and some folk then that just sail all the way through. Very rarely do you get people that go out in the middle. So mm. you can add that to your CV now. You smash the yes, no game. Brilliant. Awesome. Invented by Matt. Matt and, and Des O'Connor. 
<laughs> with an asterisk. Right, Noel, just before I let you shoot off, let us know where people can learn more about you and obviously your book that you released in May, um, a quarterly agile planning journal. You can find it on the Great British Bookshop. I get a better margin on there than I do if you buy it on Amazon. And it's available in more countries, believe it or not, from the Great British Bookshop than it is on Amazon. But LinkedIn is the best place to keep up to date with what's going on. I'm quite active on there. At the moment, we do a weekly post about our agile bullshit cards that I created recently with it, with <laughs> someone else. So it's a 56-card deck. Every card has on it something that me and the co-creator, Cohen Bastermans, something that we believe is agile bullshit. Uh, so, yeah, you can find out more about that. You can have a look on my website, uk, or none of the above and never pay attention to anything I do ever again, which is also fine. I'll stick the links to all of those places you just described in the description below so people can easily access. I wish I'd known about those bullshit cars before we started because we really could have got into that. That sounds like mm. a super interesting topic. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Really enjoyed it. Some key takeaways from today's discussion with Noel. Adapt your reading habits. Now, reading cover to cover is something that we learn at a young age, but may not necessarily, as an adult, be the right way of doing things. Identify the sections that are relevant to you and establish a regular reading habit. Even if it's just five minutes per day, it will help you get through that backlog of books. Don't force yourself. Don't hesitate to put down a book if it doesn't resonate with you, just as you would walk away from a movie or a conversation that you're not getting on with. It's okay to ditch a book if it isn't connecting with you. You won't hurt its feelings. <laughs> books on a budget, you don't need to be wealthy to read. You can access books from libraries, charity shops, through neighbourly generosity, even your telephone box as well. Rethink note-taking. Consider alternate methods like sketch noting and mind mapping to retain information effectively, rather than relying solely on traditional note taking if it doesn't work for you. It's scientifically proven that we retain more information when it's visual. Be creative with it. It's all about what works for you. Now, with continuous improvement, embrace a lean and continuously improving mindset in your daily life. It's a natural part of human evolution you'd be shocked to realise just how many things within your daily activities are performed in a lean way without you even realising it. Think about it. Honestly, there's so many. Virtually everything you do has got a lean element to it. Internal culture transformation. If you want lasting change in a desired culture in your organisation, it must come within rather than relying solely on external experts or consultants. The best way to utilise a consultant is to use their knowledge and experience to develop your own organisation and your people. Let them support you to achieve your goals. Lean Portfolio Management or LPM. Now LPM is a valuable approach for budgeting and resourcing projects. It encourages breaking projects into smaller segments, enabling testing and flexibility and reduces the risk. It considers shorter terms or three to six months planning with reduced investments to increase agility and reduce risk in project management. It's really important that you engage your stakeholders, involve senior stakeholders in particular to create a framework for LPM. Keep it simple and ensure that the right people are on board. It's a complete change of mindset and approach from the traditional. So it's going to take some time and perhaps some persuasion as well. These takeaways emphasise the importance of adaptability, efficiency and a holistic approach to personal and organisational development. 
But overall, I think the lessons we've learned from Noel today are super valuable and I certainly would take them away and hopefully you will too. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Celine podcast. Thanks so much to Noel for joining us today and really giving us a, a little bit of an insight into his mind, into the different types of lean or continuous improvement that you do in your day-to-day life without even knowing it. And obviously his expertise in terms of books and retaining information. It was really interesting to hear his thoughts on the education system, especially given because he was trained as a primary school teacher as well. So he totally gets it from both sides. Now, if you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Everseline podcast at everseline.com where you can also find episodes that you may have missed. If you can, please take a moment to like and review the Everseline podcast on the platform that you listened. I'd be extremely grateful. Your review means so much and I really do appreciate every single one. If you're on the social, search for the Everseline podcast, give us a follow, give us a like and let me know all about your lean efforts because I would love to hear them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Everseline. You know it makes sense. The Everseline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everseline.com to find out more. Yeah.